we have been studying about the fear of the Lord. And last week, um, well, we started out letting the Bible define it for us. And then the next week we did a practical application. And last week we talked about the fear of the Lord um, as it pertains to wisdom and knowledge. And we learned that, well, let's see, Proverbs 1, 7 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And that word knowledge, yeah. And that word knowledge, in the highest sense, it refers to knowing God, even in being obedient to him. And then we've got uh, Psalm 111, verse 10, that says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And wisdom is using knowledge correctly. It's knowledge rightly applied. So when we get knowledge, whatever knowledge it is, God's intention is always for us to know him better. It's the knowledge of God. God's intention is always for us to know him better. And then when we have wisdom, we get to use this knowledge that we have of him in the right way, which always draws us closer to his heart. That always puts us right in the center of his plans and the center of his will. And it reveals his character to us and it reveals his thoughts for us and about us and then it even reveals us to us because we're created in his image and in his likeness and we are who and what he says we are and we learn what he says about us so wisdom and knowledge when it says the the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom the fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge that word beginning means the chief part it is the primary ingredient in the knowledge of God. The fear of the Lord is the primary ingredient of wisdom. And so when we walk in the fear of the Lord, we are being drawn deeper into the heart of God and we are being drawn into a more intimate relationship with God. Is that not wonderful? That's so wonderful. Um, and so tonight we're going to move on and we're going to talk about the benefits of the fear of the Lord. So again, if you have your journal, you have your pens, highlighters, whatever you need, because we're going to do the same thing we did the first time. We're going to let the Bible show us the benefits of the fear of the Lord. So while you do that, I'm going to pray over this message. And I just say, Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you. For your desire not to hold anything back from us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for breathing on these scriptures and making them come alive to us. And as you minister them to us tonight, we thank you that even as we go on through the week, days, months, whatever, Lord, that you bring all things to our remembrance and you show us how to apply this word to our lives. And we thank you. We love you. We give you all glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So our first scripture tonight, talking about the benefits of the fear of the Lord. Let's turn to Proverbs. And we'll turn to the 14th chapter and the 26th verse. So that's Proverbs 14, 26. I have the NIV. Okay. It, and it, it reads, whoever, whoever fears the Lord 
as a secure fortress, and for their children, it will be a refuge. Amen. Amen. So I'm just going to read it again in the King James because there are a couple of words I want to point out. In, okay. the, in the fear of the Lord is a strong confidence. What did it say in the NIV, Sister Tony? Secure fortress. Secure fortress. Amen. In the fear of the Lord is a strong confidence, a secure fortress, and his children shall have a place of refuge. So in the King James, this word confidence, looking up the Hebrew um, definition, it is a state of security. A state of security. I like the picture of a strong fortress. It's a state of security. And when you're in a state of something, that is the, that is the condition that you are in with respect to the circumstances or attributes. So even if there is danger all around, even if there is trouble all around, those who walk in the fear of the Lord they have, they are, they have a state, they are in a state of security, regardless of the circumstances or the attributes. That's that strong confidence, that strong fortress. Amen. Amen. All right. So now let's turn to Psalm 25, 14, and I do want this out of the King James. Um, okay, Psalm 25, 14 in the King James. Go ahead. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Amen. And so now we've got this word secret <laughs> in the Hebrew, the Hebrew definition for this word secret. It means familiar converse with God, intimacy. The familiar converse with God, the intimacy of the Lord is with them that fear him. This is a benefit of the fear of the Lord. And it goes on to say, he will show them his covenant. That word covenant means alliance of friendship, an alliance of friendship. That's, that, that's an alliance. That's, <laughs> that's not just, hey, I'm your friend. It's an alliance. And I see the picture in my mind. And if you all have words to describe it, please chime in and do it. But it's, it's you know, covenant is what's coming to me. The word is covenant. It's an alliance of friendship. It's a covenant of friendship. It's an alliance. It's not to be broken. Right? So this is a benefit right. of the Lord. Hallelujah. And so now, Deborah... If you would please read that in the Amplified Classic, I'd appreciate that. I know this is one of Deborah's favorite scriptures. That's why I did that. <laughs> so those that walk in the fear of the Lord, 
They are in a state of security. They are in the condition of security with respect to the circumstances and situations. Doesn't matter what's going on. And the familiar converse of God, conversation. You know, we hear his voice, we know his voice. We don't follow a stranger's voice. We get to hear God talking to us. The familiar, familiar, familiar. And I keep getting the picture of Moses when God says, I speak with Moses face to face. Right? It's that close, upfront, personal, the familiar converse of God, intimacy. All right. And he will show us his alliance of friendship. I'm ready, Deborah. The secret of the sweet, satisfying companionship of the Lord. Have they who fear, rever, and worship, and he will show them his covenant and reveal to them the deep inner meaning. Amen. Amen. I'm just going to focus on that last part that says, and he will show them his covenant, his alliance of friendship, and reveal to them its deep inner meaning. He's going to show us what it means to have him as our friend. He's going to show us what that alliance entails. He's going to show up for us every time. And he's going to continue to reveal more about himself to us, regardless of the conditions. We're going to have that state of safety because he's our friend. And we have that familiar converse with him. We have that intimacy with him. And it's like um, a word my pastor gave here recently, but here's a, a more loving rendition of it. He's like, watch me work. <laughs> watch me work. Because he's talking to his children here. <laughs> watch me work. I'm going to watch what I'm getting ready to do for you. Watch what I'm getting ready to show you. Right? So he's our friend. He's our friend. Benefits of the fear of the Lord. Anybody have anything to say so far? I wanted to ask a question. Oh, okay. Why does it say his covenant? I mean, is that is that in opposed to something else? I mean, is it is it emphasizing something specific in the way of a covenant as opposed to other other covenants? Oh, I really hadn't thought about it like that, but I will tell, because there are other covenants. These people in the Old Testament, covenant was something very familiar to them, right? They, they took covenants often. And so um, I'm sure there is something very specific in his covenant. And I just hadn't thought about it in that context. Um, but what I did get, what I got from it when he was ministering it, and he will show them his covenant. It's like, I'm going to show you the friend that I want to be to you. I'm going to show you what I can give you that nobody else can give you. I'm going to show you how I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm going to show you how I can provide for you. I'm going to show you how I can cover for you. I'm going to show you what a real friend is. And so now with your question, I suppose he, if he's differentiating between other covenants, then I would suppose, yeah, yeah. Because other covenants, as you know, as strong as a covenant is, period, as strong as a covenant is, you know, man is man. Man is man. And they can cover you in some areas, 
but not all areas. And so I would say just, yes, there is a very definite difference between God's covenant and anybody else's. But what he specifically ministered to me during this was, let me show you more of me. Let me show you more. Let me show you all the ways that I am for you. Let me show you all the ways that I'm with you. Let me say, okay, so you know me to this extent, but let me show you there's even more. So um, I don't know if that helped with your question at all. Yes, it did. I get the thumbs up. Okay. But more. Okay. Can you expound on inner, inner meaning? What, what's the benefit of an inner meaning? It's more than just the surface. And you know what? Every time, every time um, I read this and meditated on it, the word that the Lord brought back to me was the word that he had me to minister last year from Isaiah 42, 16, where it said that he would lead us in unfamiliar paths. He would lead us in, in paths that we do not know. He would make darkness to become light before us. He would make the crooked places straight and he would not leave us. He would not forsake us. And then what he ministered to that, um, or he took us through that as we studied that out, he took us to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so we looked at that word perish in um, Proverbs. I want to say it's 29, 18. Anyway, it's in Proverbs. But without a vision, the people, where there is no vision, the people perish. So if where there is no vision, the people perish. But God sent Jesus so the people would not perish. Then he sent Jesus to be a vision for us, something that we could see. And then we, we, we um, went through that word vision in, in Proverbs without a vision, where there is no vision, the people perish. The vision didn't refer necessarily, or it did not, yeah, it didn't refer necessarily to the vision or the oracle or the, the revelation. It didn't refer to that, the divine communication. It referred to the message behind the communication. Okay, so now let's come back over here to John 3.16. God sent Jesus to be that vision. All right, and so we see Jesus, this man in the Bible. We see Jesus, the son of God. We see Jesus, the one who did miracles. We hear the things that Jesus said, but so many and so many times, so many have missed the message behind the vision of Jesus. Why did Jesus come? He came for us to have eternal life. And this is life eternal, that we would know thee, God. We would know thee, the one true God, and Jesus and your son, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus came for us to know God. He didn't just come for us to go to heaven. He came for us to know God and to live God here on earth. This is life eternal. And so the message that God gave to us through this teaching last year was, you're going to get the message. You're going to get the inner meaning. And so when you're asking here, what is that deep inner meaning? 
we're going to get to this straight to the heart of God. We're going to get the revelation behind the scriptures, revelation behind, you know, the churchy things. We're, we're going to get the message, the inner meaning. We're going to go beyond the surface. Oops, excuse me. We're going to go beyond the surface. And this is where that intimacy comes in. You know, it's like, we love that God knows us, right? God knows our heart. God knows, he just knows all about us. But God doesn't just know about what we do. He knows why we do it. God just doesn't know how we feel. He knows why we feel it. And that, that same knowledge, I hear it, that same knowledge that he has of us, that's the knowledge that he wants us to have of him. It's in first, <laughs> it's in first Corinthians chapter 13, that right now we look through a glass darkly, right? Hold on, let me turn to it. It's 1 Corinthians, yes. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. It says, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. That's the goal. God wants us to know him like he knows us. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Anybody else? Thank you, Lord. Ooh, Jesus, you're so sweet. Anybody else? All right. So now let's go to um, Luke chapter 1, verse 50. And when somebody has it, um, you can read it. 50-5-0. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. His mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. Now this word mercy, it's a covenant word. Okay. When we think of mercy, we tend to think of uh, Lord have mercy. Um, and, and depending on the definition, it can mean compassion. It can mean pity. It can mean, um, oh, Lord. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Mercy, forgiveness, all of this. Mercy. That's right. Mercy. Lord, have mercy on them. Have mercy on them. But mercy is a covenant word. Now, we just finished talking about covenant right? Um, Proverbs 25, 15, that alliance of friendship that God has. And, and Deborah brought out why his covenant, because his covenant is different than anybody else's covenant. It's stronger than anybody else's covenant. It is permanent more than anybody else's covenant. God's permanent. His, I mean, his covenant. So his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. The definition for mercy in the Greek, it means covenant loyalty. You know, covenants are not to be broken. We break contracts. Covenants are not broken. Not godly covenants. I know we have a covenant of marriage and divorces and all of this, but when we're talking godly covenant, this put it this way. 
if you if we're going to the Bible days and we're talking about the Bible knowledge of covenant, one would rather die before breaking a covenant. That's how strong it is. When when we just defined covenant in Psalm 25, 14 as God's alliance of friendship, that's that it's that unbreakable bond. And talking about this Bible covenant, one would rather die before break covenant. So now we're talking about mercy, meaning covenant loyalty. I'm loyal to you until the end. And even after, if that's possible. Covenant loyalty. Covenant love. I love you no matter what. You are in an eternal state of being loved. Hallelujah. Covenant love. And so then it says, um, the definition, it is also mercy as it is defined by loyalty to God's covenant. As it is defined by loyalty to God's covenant. Not our loyalty to God's covenant, but God's loyalty to his covenant. That's why we have a new covenant. In the old covenant, it was God said, I have to treat you according to how you act. If you do good, you get good. If you do bad, you get bad. I have to treat you according to how you act. God loves us so much. He never intended for that. So praise God when Jesus came and Jesus rose and now we've got the new covenant. God says, I get to treat you how I want to treat you. When you do good, I treat you good. When you do bad, I treat you good. Why? Because I am good. That's God's covenant. And so when we're talking about mercy here, we're talking about God's covenant loyalty to do us good, to treat us good, to give us good. We're talking about God's covenant love. Woo! That he, he, I'm getting loud and I hear a reverb. Y'all all right? Okay, so his covenant love. We are in an eternal state of being loved. There's nothing we can do to make him love us more. There's nothing we can do to make him love us less. He just loves us. And it's this mercy that is on us that fear him. And it's from generation to generation. This is a benefit of the fear of the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Ooh, thank you, Jesus. All right. So now let's go to Proverbs chapter 19. And we're going to look at the 23rd verse. First, I want it in the King James Version. I'm sorry. The fear of the Lord tendeth to life, and he that hath it shall abide satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil. Proverbs 19:23. Yes. Thank you. Praise God. Okay, and so now I'm going to read it in the NASB. I don't even know what that stands for, but I like it. <laughs> New American Standard. Thank you, Deborah. So, um, okay, in the nat, in the say it again. New American Standard Bible. Okay, it says the fear of the Lord leads to life, so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. 
Now, first, I need to tell you that he is talking to the right one because Catherine likes to sleep. Hallelujah. And as a matter of fact, since he gave me my 10 o'clock bedtime and I've been sticking to it, he's shown me how my sleep is even worshiped to him. Hallelujah. Glory to God. <laughs> so I like sleeping satisfied, untouched by evil. Um, in the King James, it said, the fear of the Lord tendeth to life. And I like how the NASB says, it leads to life. That word life, it means life, but it also means sustenance. Sustenance. So it's that nourishment that keeps you living. And it's, it's all the necessities that you need to live. This is the sustenance. So the fear of the Lord leads to life and everything that it takes to keep you living. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. And then it says that one may sleep satisfied. In the um, King James, it says abide. And we know that word abide. It doesn't mean to visit, to slip in and out. It means to dwell, to stay, to lodge. And here in the NASB, it says to sleep satisfied. That is like comfortable rest with no worry. Don't you think? We can rest satisfied. Now, this word satisfied, <laughs> all right, in the Hebrew, it means surfeited, S-U-R-F-E-I-T-E-D. So I said, well, what does that mean? So I went to dictionary.com, and it says, supplied with anything to excess. Supplied with anything to excess. So the fear of the Lord leads to life and everything that it takes to keep you living so that one may sleep uh, supplied with anything to excess. Overflow, abundance, more than enough. Untouched by evil. Evil can't touch. Evil can't stay. Evil can't stick. Untouched by evil. Glory to God. And that word evil, we defined it a couple of weeks ago. It means evil, distress, misery, injury, and calamity. In other words, it means everything that God never intended for you. Mm. Everything that God never intended to, for you. It cannot touch you. It can't stick to you. It can't so, okay, the Holy Spirit is bringing this to my remembrance. You remember the woman who got healed of the issue of blood. She said, if I could but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. And Jesus was in the press. He was being thronged by the people, people touching him, just touching, touching, touching. Then this woman, she touches him and he stops. He says, who touched me? And Peter said, now, Lord, come on. All these people around you, what do you mean? Who touched you? He said, mm -mm, somebody touched me. She touched him with her faith. Why? Because something inside of her connected to something on the inside of him, and he felt the virtue go out. So when this scripture says that we are untouched by evil, when we are walking in the fear of the Lord, there is nothing on the inside of us for the things that God does not have for us. There is nothing on the inside of us for evil to grab hold to and touch us. We, this is a, I love it, the sanctification piece. The fear of the Lord is a sanctification piece. Glory to God. Evil can't touch us. There's nothing on the inside of us for evil to latch on to. Glory to God. 
And so this takes us to one of our meditation scriptures in um, oh, in in First John chapter five. First John chapter five. And it's verse 18. And I would like this out of the Amplified Classic. We know absolutely that anyone born of God does not deliberately and knowingly practice committing sin. But the one who was begotten of God carefully watches over and protects him. Christ's divine presence within him preserves him against the evil, and the wicked one does not lay hold, get a grip on him, or touch him. So that relates that in the King James, it says that evil, the wicked one toucheth him not. There is no place for evil to touch us. And now the reason I wanted this read out of the Amplified Classic is because I, I was having trouble. I was having trouble with this. Um, we know absolutely that anyone born of God does not deliberately and knowingly practice committing sin. Okay, we got that. And First John is talking about how we are born of God and anything begotten of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So we are begotten of God. We're children of God. We're victorious. I got that. And so we don't deliberately and knowingly practice sin. Got that. Then it says, and this is, but the one who was begotten of God carefully watches over and protects him. And the words one and who are capitalized. So that's pertaining to Jesus. Right. And I was like, Lord, I'm, that's not how it's written in the King James. So I was just having trouble reconciling that. But this is what God showed me today. But the one who was begotten of God, that's talking about us. We are begotten of God carefully watches over and protects him. Protects who? Well, in brackets, it says, Christ's divine presence within him preserves him against the evil. So just go with me here, okay? I'm going into sanctification. We know that God is the one who has sanctified us. He sanctifies us through his word. His word is truth. Or he sanctifies us through his truth. His word is truth. He has sanctified us. But in order to partake of that sanctification that he has already provided for us, we must sanctify ourselves unto him. 1 Peter 3.15 says that we must set Christ apart in our hearts as holy and acknowledge him as Lord. So that means, um, if I'm going to put it in the language here in 1 John 5, we protect him. We protect his presence in our lives. It's like saying we protect the anointing. We don't go everywhere and listen to everything and allow it to, to tamper with our anointing. We, we protect the anointing. We watch what we put in our eye gates. We watch what we put in our ear gates. We watch what we put in our mouth gate. We watch the people we hang out around. We watch the places we go. Not saying that we're so, ooh, we can't go anywhere. No, when God sends us, we do that. But you know, David was hanging out at home when he was supposed to be on the battlefield. He got in trouble. So we need to, to, to protect him, protect Christ, protect his presence 
in our lives. Um, I've got two pictures in my mind. One is at the Southwest Believers Convention this past summer. Um, Bill Johnson was there and he was preaching and he gave this picture of how the Holy Spirit, he saw the Holy Spirit as a dove just lighted on his shoulder. And, you know, doves are fidgety creatures. You can scare them easily and they'll fly. But he said every time before he would go in this particular store, um, which was, I don't think it was in a good part of the neighborhood, something, but it was something about the store. He would just take a moment and get in that place where he realized Holy Spirit was with him. And so since he's got this fidgety dove on his shoulder, he would walk carefully. He would step lightly. He was conscious of Holy Spirit's presence with him. And that dictated how he carried himself. That is protecting Christ. That's protecting the anointing. That's setting him apart as separate in our hearts. And then last week, Shalom shared a testimony about how she was reading the story about David and he was going to um, battle and he inquired of the Lord, should I go? And the Lord said, yes, and here's the battle plan. And then uh, the Philistines decided to attack again. And instead of David just going with the same battle plan he had, he inquired of the Lord again. And the Lord said, yes, but this time this is the battle plan. And the revelation that Shalom got out of that was that David was not alone. He considered the Lord in every decision he made. He considered the Lord in every step he took. And so here, as we're looking at 1 John 5, it says, but the one who was begotten of God, let's talk about us children, begotten of God, carefully watches over and protects him, protects Christ's presence in our life. Yes, his presence is protecting us, but we're also honoring him by protecting him. You know, it's like if you had a child with you and you're holding their hand, you would watch the places you go because you wouldn't want to subject that child to certain atmospheres and certain environments. It's the same way. That's how we sanctify Christ in our hearts. We honor him. We put him first. So that's Christ's divine presence within us. And when we protect his divine presence within us by honoring him in that way, that preserves us against the evil. That keeps us always mindful of Emmanuel, God with us, or Christ, God in us, the, the hope of glory, that, that keeps us mindful so that there is nothing inside of us that evil can attach itself to because we are constantly keeping our mind on Christ. Amen? Amen. Okay. So... And the wicked one does not lay hold, get a grip on him, or touch him. Praise God. Benefits of the fear of the Lord. Amen. Let's go back to where we just were. Where was that? Proverbs 19.23. This time I want it read out of the Amplified Classic. The reverent, worshipful, worshipful fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it rests satisfied. He cannot be visited with actual evil. Can't be. Can't be, because there's nothing, there's, there's, there's nowhere that says evil. Come rest here. Come visit. Stay a while. Come. Mm -hmm. There's nothing. But now, I'm going back to that word satisfied, right? 
which means surfeited, which means supplied with anything to excess. So as I was meditating that, the Lord showed me 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. Let's go there. In the King James. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Amen. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. Let's deal with that. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. So we're going to deal with this definition about make to abound. In the Greek, this means to furnish one so richly that he has abundance. Now remember, we were just talking about the word satisfied in Proverbs 19.3, which means supplied with anything to excess, more than enough. So now here in 2 Corinthians 9.8, God makes grace abound towards us. He furnishes us so richly with his grace, with his empowerment, with his favor, with, with his uh, overwhelming desire to treat us as if sin never happened. He, uh, he makes grace to abound towards us so much. He furnishes us so richly that we have an abundance of grace. And that grace, we're focusing on empowerment. I think that's where we were last week. But empowerment to be who he made us to be. Right? So he furnished us so richly that we have an abundance of grace. That ye always having all sufficiency, and it says all sufficiency, having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. So let's look at that word sufficiency. <laughs> sufficiency is a perfect condition of life in which no aid or support is needed. Hence, it is a sufficiency of the necessities of life. We have everything we need for life. That connects with Proverbs 19.23, that the fear of the Lord leads to life and sustenance. Life and sustenance, so that one may sleep satisfied furnished with more than enough, untouched by evil. Amen. Amen. Benefits of the fear of the Lord. Glory to God. Right. So these are the benefits of the fear of the Lord. And I'm turning to the scripture because I want to say it right. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget not all his benefits. And there's another scripture. I'm looking for it. I don't see it. But it says he daily loadeth us with benefits. And there are benefits that come with the fear of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And that is all God has given me to share. Is there anything? Any, anything? Reflections, comments? Testimonies. Yeah, I, uh, as, as you talk tonight, yes. it became more and more clear 
that if the body of Christ is dealing with COVID-19, which is an evil, is because either they're not walking in the fear of the Lord or they're not exercising faith in the fear of the Lord that they have. And yeah. that, that never, that never, that side of it was never presented to me before that perhaps they're not releasing faith in it. You know, there's a difference to me walking in something and releasing faith in it. So I just wanted to, to say that I, I, I believe that that is a major, that is the major key. Not only of dealing with COVID-19, but even the, the governmental, political things that are going on, that's evil. You know, the fear of the Lord covers all of that. All that, of it. You know, I felt like AC, uh, this hammer guy, you can't touch this. <laughs> when you're in the fear of the Lord, you can't touch this. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So Deborah, hold on. Before you go back on mute, um, talk to us about um, walking or releasing faith in the fear of the Lord. Well, it's like healing. I know that I have been healed by the stripes of Jesus. I know that I, I mentally ascend to it yes. more than I release the spiritual presence of faith in me for it that grabs it and brings it into manifestation. Yes. So um, I'm, I'm aware that the fear of the Lord is there, but I may not be actively engaging my faith to yes. experience it manifesting in my life personally. Amen. And you talked about a lot about covenant tonight. And to me, whenever I hear the word God side, and there's a man side. Okay. Because covenant is conditional. It doesn't just automatically, many things I believe in a covenant are conditional because it involves two. Okay. You know? And so I'm, I'm thinking that in order for me to experience the fear of the Lord, not only do I have to rely on the Holy Spirit to reveal to me what it is, how it is, how to operate in it, but I've got to actively engage my faith to bring it to manifestation in my personal life. Excellent, excellent point, excellent point. Um, because as you explained that last part right there, just I'm going to say it because I've said it so many times before. It's the same thing. God has sanctified us, but we have to participate in that sanctification. Because God, this new covenant with the blood of Jesus, God made the covenant with himself. So there's nothing that man has to fulfill for the covenant to come to pass, but man does have to partake of it. Man does have to engage in it. Man does have to participate in it because God will not overtake our free will. That, that has never changed. So I like what you said, Deborah, about having to, okay, so the fear of the Lord is there, but it's just like, isn't it? Just, well, for me, I've got so many things in my cupboard and it's not until I go clean it out. I'm like, oh, I got a jar of molasses back there. I could have been... And, I, you know, there's stuff in my cupboard that I had forgotten all about. I haven't been using it. I haven't been enjoying it. It's just there in the cupboard. The cupboard. I can partake of it anytime. And that's the way it is many times with, with our spiritual arsenal, the things that we have available to us. 
And one of those things is the fear of the Lord. And so now that we've kind of cleaned the cupboard, ah, oh, look at the fear of the Lord. Yeah, we're getting ready to use this right here. So we're getting ready to engage our faith with it. Uh, amen. Amen. And the other thing that I heard in what you said, Deborah, is that if people aren't releasing their faith for it, then maybe they don't have the faith for it. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So there's teaching and preaching and ministering that needs to go out where the fear of the Lord is concerned. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to turn to Romans and I'm going to read the whole thing. Um, because it starts with how can they hear without a preacher? How can they preach unless they've been sent? And how can they call on who they don't believe? So now I'm going to get out of the scripture so I can get it right. It's in Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, verse 13. It says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then? Oh my goodness. Sorry. Back up to Lordship. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hallelujah. Thank you, Holy Ghost. All right. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So if we're looking at this in the context of the fear of the Lord, how then shall they engage in the fear of the Lord if, if they haven't believed in, in the fear of the Lord, the benefits of the fear of the Lord? How can they believe in the fear of the Lord and the benefits of the fear of the Lord if they have not heard about it? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? So tonight, under the unction of the Holy Ghost and the authority that he has given me, I send each one of you in the name of Jesus into your communities, your jobs, your homes, your metron, wherever you are, to preach, teach, and live the fear of the Lord in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. This is a holy commission right here taking place. You are sent to preach, to teach to live the fear of the Lord, that people might know, that they might hear, that they might believe, and they might call on the Lord and be saved from the evil that is touching them by engaging, hallelujah, in the fear of the Lord. Amen. And so with that, according to your word, how beautiful are your feet because you preach the gospel of peace and bring good tidings, glad tidings of good things in Jesus' name. Um, you all turn on your mics and tell me, and be real, do you receive that? Amen. 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 I got my shoes on. <laughs> Glory to God. <laughs> but look for doors, because they're going to be there, doors of opportunity for you to speak about the fear of the Lord, about the things that you're learning, about the things that God is ministering to you, and even the very way that you carry yourself as if you were very aware of the presence of God within you and upon you. People are going to see that, and they're going to ask you about it, and the door is going to open for you to be able to share with them. Amen?
All right. Um, anybody else? I just love Psalms 25 and 14. And it was from the, uh, the NIV that I read. It's the Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to confides. When, when that word confide, that means like that's your bestie. You tell your innermost secrets to your bestie. And that's like, man, God, he just, he, he confides in me. His deepest secret, that just like give me goosebumps <laughs> to know that, that he, he wants to give me his, his deep stuff. Yes. You know, it's, it's like, can my little mind even, even contain that, that he, he want to share that with me, that he loved me so much that he trusts me, that he can give me his, his deep stuff. Mm. Man, that's, that's real right there. Amen. Amen. You know, when she said that just now, uh -huh. that took me back to when you were talking about protecting the presence. Yes. And it's like the fear of the Lord I'm seeing qualifies me to be trusted because I'm going to protect what God gives me because what he gives me in his innermost thoughts are powerful and the enemy doesn't need to be alerted of those things. Amen. The enemy can only know them if I show it to him because the scripture says the many, uh, many sided wisdom of God is revealed through the church. Yes. And so to have the fear of the Lord, to cultivate it, to put faith in it, I am literally pushing, I'm literally putting myself in that position for God to trust me so that, and, and I can be one of those that protects his stuff. Yes. Yes. That's awesome. Amen. Amen. So let me ask you, ladies, what does this do? I don't have a clear picture, so I'm, I'm really putting it out there to see if any of you do or just to give you something to meditate on this week. But what does this do for your relationship with him? What, you know, let's think about it like this. Some people say, you know, well, they're, so I'm a servant of God. I'm a child of God. I'm a friend of God. And some people get offended when they hear people say, I'm a lover of God. I'm God's lover. There, there are different tiers of relationship. And, and it's some that you grow into. You know, we grow into sonship through dependence on him, that kind of thing. We mature into some. And then there are some that when he invites us into that level of relationship, we come in. Um, and so now that we're seeing that, yeah, he, I'm like I'm like his bestie. He trusts me with this, and and I can be trusted with this stuff. He can confide in me. He can talk to me, and he's revealing me, revealing to me the inner meaning of this covenant. I can. What does that do for your relationship with God, or the way that you see it, or or, or the way that you desire it, or anything, anything. For me, it's like I'm hearing a longing of God's heart 
This is what he's always wanted. Yeah. It's never been his intent for me to be outside of anything. Uh, he wants me smack dab in the middle of who he is. And he wants to be smack dab in the middle of who I am. So I'm hearing his heart beat tonight. It's like thumping for me. I want you, Deborah. I want you. I want you. I want you. And so it's causing a, a reciprocal on my end, a wanting of God. Not, I don't want to live my whole life needing God. Yeah. His meeting this need that that I want to want him, even if I have no needs. Yes. I want him. Yes. yes. So that's what it's doing for me. It's 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 increasing my want. Amen. Amen. That's beautiful. Yes. Anybody else want to share? It makes me hungrier. And and it's it's like his his word. I've I've learned the more that that I'm in his word, it's like I I actually eat his word. I spiritually eat it. I. Sometimes I, I get so full, I get a stomach ache, you know? It, it's just like, and it makes me, and, and, and it gets to the point to where I love the taste of it so much that I, I just want to go keep eating. And it's like, I, it's like I never get full. And just to, just to know that, that in the way Deborah said it, that, that, that want, it, it's just like, Girl, it's like just lavish me. Just, just let me be with with spiritual gluttony of His Word. To when when I walk around, that His Word oozes. That people feel His presence through me. That it just oozes so much that that they just want like what, and they they want to know more about it. And I just want to be used for His glory. I'm that old person that I, I used to be. I don't know where she is, but I'm not gonna look for her anymore. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm so excited to this, to this point that he's got me in. That it's like I look forward every moment. Like I want to know what. Okay, what else is there, God? I know there's something else. I'm ready to eat, God. I I got my plate ready. Every time my my plate has no no ending to it. It just every time he puts it. It's it's ready just to grab more and and I just I just pray that he just makes me digest it so much to to where I'm I'm almost like a vapor when I pass by people that they just they just smell Jesus everywhere and they just wanna they just wanna be covered with it. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. All right, anybody else? I mean, they pretty much saying everything that I want to say, but I mean, you know, it's just like, yes, there's a want that, you know, mm -hmm. then when you're talking to people, when you're going around, you want them to experience the presence, even if they just hearing your voice and you're giving them a calm, a peace, mm -hmm. and they're like, whoa, what is this, you know, and so you just want that to be exuding because of him and that he's in you and that he his love is just shining through you. That's all you want people to know. He's like, come on over. You don't like me. Just wait to experience my Lord. And yeah. um, it's, and it, it's, 
he's just amazing because I was thinking about the different terminology that's been used out there because I even have a t-shirt that has um it's it has Adidas but it has addicted to Jesus oh, you know? oh yeah and so there's the you know people who talk about it, I'm addicted to Jesus and then there's um something some uh uh singer had Jesus freak so you know those terms that normally would be like oh you're free you know but now you like Jesus, I, you know, because people are like, oh, that means you're all out. You know, I'm, I don't care what you call me. I don't care what you think of me. It, it's really like, that's who I, I really don't care what they think of me, really, because I'm like, I know who I am in the Lord, and I just want people to see the Lord, but, I, you know, because it's like the world, there are different, you, there are people we do have to reach, but we don't have to conform to what, who they are, but they want to, we want to draw them to us. Right. Yeah, so that's what I, but from all this, and, and there was this one, I've been reading Proverbs out of the Passion, and this one scripture that's, that, uh, well, the whole thing sticks out to me, but this, uh, but the fear of God stuck out, and that's why, because I know that's what we're been, um, reading, but this, it's in verse 13, Which in uh, Proverbs 8, okay. Proverbs 8, and it's verse 13 and it's in the passion and it's, um, it says wisdom pours into you when you begin to hate every form of evil in your life for that for that's what worship and fearing God is all about then you will discover that your properest pride and perverse speech are the ways of wickedness that I hate. I said, all right, go, you know, so that's just, you know, confirmations that our mouth, our words got to be lining up our ways and there's no desire for that stuff. That's what I was just like, just no desire for that worldly stuff. Yeah. That's what I'll share. Correlation between wisdom and departing from evil. Mm -hmm. I'm beginning to see that now. I'm beginning to see that in the scriptures that I read how there is a connection. We often see wisdom yeah. and hating forms of evil, departing from evil. The two cannot exist. How about that? The two cannot coexist. How about that? Yeah. It's like one can't love um, God and mammon at the same time. You must love one and hate the other. You can't serve two masters. You must serve one and hate the other. Love one, hate the other. Um, it's the same way with wisdom and evil. Yes. Wow. Thank you, uh, Lord. That was good. <laughs> God. Yes, he is.